Uh, so without further ado, I would like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Emmy. Good evening. My name is Emmy. Hi. And I'm a compulsive old reader. Um, I came into Old Readers Anonymous in March of 1975, March 5th. And I've been abstaining ever since. Now, my top weight was 220-some pounds, and I didn't drive. I didn't know how to write a check. I stayed at home, and I had babies. And that's what I did. And I lived like that for about eight years before I found Old Readers Anonymous. And everything that I say here is my opinion and how I work the program. And it's just that works best for me. I'm very opinionated just about everything there is. Life, sex, politics, religion, Overeaters Anonymous. So when I came into OA, um, it was just a couple of days before I had attempted uh, suicide. I had made a decision that I didn't want to live anymore. You know, suicide wasn't a new thought to me. I'd attempted it three times as an adolescent. And I was all ready to, to go again. I just didn't want to live anymore. I had a, a cute little house in Reseda, and I had three little cute blonde kids, and I had a blonde dog and a blonde husband. Just perfect, you know. Just It looked it looked perfect. Um, he was a tall, blonde man with a pudgy, fat wife. You know, it just looked like the American dream. And I just was so unhappy, but no one knew I was unhappy. Of course, that's the story of all of us. There's nothing new here. And I had picked up the newspaper for my next-door neighbor because they were on vacation, and there was an article in the L.A. Times about um, compulsive overeating, and Ann Landers had written it. I guess she had interviewed someone or someone, you know, I don't remember the format, but I remember reading the article, and I, I was so excited about the way the article talked about food that I knew that at last somebody knew about me. Um, I was a garbage eater. Uh, I don't eat out of the garbage anymore. I don't eat anything that falls on the floor. Absolutely nothing hits my mouth if it's been on the floor. Um, that two-minute rule or two-second rule doesn't apply to me. If it's on the floor, it doesn't belong to me anymore. And, uh, well, the two-second rule is, is, a, is a commercial for uh, Oreo cookies. And some guy dropped these cookies, and, you know. And I, I laugh at the commercial. I talk about food, so if anyone has a problem with it, I'm sorry. Uh, that's why I'm here. I'm a compulsive reader, and food got me here, and a whole bunch of emotions that I maintain today by not eating foods. Uh, the compulsion has been lifted, and has been lifted for a long time. It doesn't mean I don't want some foods. It doesn't mean I don't look forward to a meal. But that drive that drove me insane to eat uncontrollably is gone and has been for a very long time. I have used laxatives uh, before it was popular <laughs> or before anyone knew about it. I, uh, I have used laxatives so incredibly bad that I lost a child. I was seven months pregnant. And I acquired gangrene of my intestines, mm. which, which, which caused the death of the child. It just, you know, and I still didn't stop. Because, you know, we, I don't know about you. I used to say, if only, because I have that disease, if only. I have the if only disease. Uh, if I got really sick, 
and I would lose a lot of weight, and then I'd be okay. You know, I'd get a jump start on it, and then I, then I could maintain it. I used to think that. And so after the surgery, and they took out all, you know, two and a half feet of my intestines, and, you know, they said, you can't eat anything hot or really cold for like a month. I had, was supposed to eat really bland food. Because, I mean, they, they completely opened me from stem to stern, and they took all my intestines out, and they did what they did and put me all back together again. And so they really wanted everything to just kind of like slowly go through the body. Well, I was home by myself, and my next-door neighbor came in and asked me, she was going to the store, could I get anything? And I said, yes, a half gallon of strawberry ice cream with seeds. And I ate the entire half gallon. Now, this was just after being 10 days in intensive care and losing a child. I have a disease of compulsive overeating, and I think that's why, to me, abstaining and, and the steps are so, so precious. They are, I don't believe that they're a gift. I believe it's precious. And it's for me if I choose it. I have to sign up. I don't believe in losing your abstinence. I think we give it up. Personally, that's, that's my opinion. I do certain things on a daily basis. Let me, when I, what I was like, let me go back to the, the format. That's what I was like. I ate compulsively every single day. I would eat an entire cake, but I'd do it a slice at a time. Because people that just sat down and picked out, that was just too gross for me. People that ate in the middle of the night, that was too gross for me. I just couldn't even imagine doing that. But I ate all day. I mean, I would start my day with six or seven peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. That seemed to be okay. I used to do vats of popcorn. I was a quantity eater. And I, I say past tense because I don't anymore. I still measure my food to a certain extent. This morning I had a bowl of cornflakes, and it was a couple cornflakes and a banana. Because I could eat the whole box. I love cornflakes. And I have cornflakes once a month, maybe. You know, I have to be in the mood, and I have to have bananas, because you can't eat cornflakes without bananas. I mean, that's how I eat. You know, I have certain rituals with food. And I still have two pieces of chicken. I still have two hot dogs, because I don't eat those skinny hot dogs. I eat knockwurst, because, you know, that's, that's me. And I was given a food plan when I came into Overeaters Anonymous 26 years ago, and it was gray sheet. And for the most part... I still follow that for the most part. Because I've gone on different food plans in the program, you know, and they just don't, make, they just don't work for my body. Because my body gains weight really, really fast. I can put starch into my system, and I start to gain weight. And so the first five years of Overeaters Anonymous, I never ate a grain of starch, bread, pasta, potatoes. Because I think... In, 1975, we didn't even know there was such a thing as pasta. You know, it's just, we didn't eat that way. Today, I eat fairly healthy. I do eat healthy. Um, but I met this lady in the, in the meeting, and I picked her because I thought she went to my church. And um, I picked another lady to be my food sponsor, and she told me to call her every day at 3.30 and she gave me this food plan, and she says, buy the big book, um, buy the 12 steps of over, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, and Ellen on one day at a time. And I picked her because she was tall, and I picked her because she had a green sweater on, and I liked that color. Mm. You know, I really don't 
prescribe to this bullshit, you know, we readers anonymous about I need to have someone understand my feelings. I picked her because she was tall and had a green sweater on. And I just did what she told me because she was tall and thin. You know, she had what I want. I, you know, I didn't know anything about spirituality. In fact, you would have talked to me about God. I thought I would have died. My first meeting that I went to of Old Readers Anonymous, there was a little old lady, and I, and I make joke of her today, and she knows that, and I poke fun of her. And it's Natalie. You know, and she was, I think at that time, I'm 28. She had to be 45, 48. And she was really old. Old! And she talked about... She was the type of person who would pick up a raisin. She'd step on it, pick up a raisin, find it on the ground, picked it up, dusted it off, and ate it. And that's what I did. And that's why I stayed. And then the next person got up and said the word fuck, and I said, I'm home. Because I always wanted to be able to say those kind of words, and I couldn't because of my upbringing. It was, you know, if I, I couldn't wear gold earrings either. Uh, hoop earrings because that meant you were a tramp and I didn't have any patent leather shoes because the boys would look up your pants that's what my mommy told me mm-hmm. and it wasn't until I was 30 years old that I had my first patent leather pair of shoes I now have six or seven eight pairs I'm not compulsive mm-hmm. and I do have gold hoop earrings and I stopped dyeing my hair red years and years and years ago Anyway, I picked this other lady to be my step sponsor because she was in, I knew she was in my church and I knew that, you know, being of the same religion that she needed, I needed that thing because Catholics were different. And she turned out to be a Jew. And, and the story goes, you know, I, once I found out that she was of the Jewish faith, I just thought I would die because I didn't even know any, nor did I want to. And I was, I hugged her. And I've been talking to her for weeks, and I really like this lady. And um, I had to break off with her. Uh, so we met at the, uh, at the beginning of a meeting on Tuesday night, and we were talking in the parking lot. And I never got around to it because I couldn't do it. I didn't have the courage. And she's still my sponsor. Uh, and I've learned more from this program. Here's a woman... You know, and it could have been any woman. Here's a woman who told me what to do, and I did it regardless because I believe I hit my bottom. Because my health issues didn't stop me. Losing a child didn't stop me. Being fat and miserable didn't stop me. Whatever bottom it was, I had hit it. And she said, you need to do this, or I would suggest. She's never, ever told me that I had to do something. Um... She was not a dictator. She wasn't a Gestapo. She wasn't my mother, my brother, my sister, my parent. She was a guide. And that, I believe, is the job of a sponsor. And her job was to help me succeed. And that's what she did in teaspoonfuls. And I followed her suggestion. You know, and I'm so grateful. And she says, but Emmy, you're so willing. That doesn't mean that my willingness doesn't come kicking and screaming. And there are incidences that I use when I talk because it's so poignant about who I am. I remember calling her on a Thursday night. And I could only call her on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 o'clock because she was a full-time mother, full-time worker, and she went to school. So I remember calling her, and uh, I was pissing and moaning about something, carrying on like I do, slinging snot and just all upset and a twither. And she says, why don't you go to a meeting? And I said, I don't want to go to a goddamn meeting. She said, that's your answer for everything. I don't want to go to a meeting. She says, fine, suffer. And that's how I'm sponsored. 
I talked to her the other day at work about something um, that had me in a twither. And she says, well, have you asked God? I says, you know, you always pass the buck. <laughs> I says, you, that's your job. So I have a situation with my work, and I've been uh, getting home late, and I'm eating dinner late, and I can't do that. I just, it doesn't, my body is reacting, and it doesn't like it. So I have to find a different way to do my evening meal, and there may not be an evening meal. So I said, I need to discuss this with you. And she says, well, what do you think? I says, that's not the object what I think. I want you to make the decision. I says, there you go again, passing the buck. She says, well, have you written about it? I says, we're not even going to go there. You know, and we joke back and forth, but we've been together for 26 years. And she is not my girlfriend. She's my sponsor. And there's a difference. I don't need a girlfriend. I need her to be my sponsor. I need her to kick my ass. And as we progress in the program, my life has taken many different turns. Today I'm in a profession I would have never signed up for. I did not want to be, um, I don't know if it's, I, I really don't want to say what I do for a living because I just, I don't think it's appropriate. But I'm in a business that I never would have planned to be in. And I'm only there because of a set of circumstances that happened to me. And I made a joke about being in this kind of a business, which I knew nothing about. And before you know it, I was, I was doing it. And I've been there 13 years. And I'm a manager. And... It's just amazing because I never, ever want to do anything except be a wife and mom. I wanted 12 kids. I want to be married to the same husband. I've raised three husbands and four children. You know, I've been in the program for 27 years. 26 years? 27 years. Right. You guys figure the math out. I've been here a long time. And at each, each change in my life has brought me about a new Joy, really, is as hard sometimes as my life has been. As soon as I step through it, I can look back and see what I've learned. And I'm grateful for that. But I've gone through. And it doesn't mean that I don't get angry. Oh, my God. It doesn't mean that I don't cry and I carry on. I mean, I've been divorced twice. I've had death in my life and I've had tragedy in my life. And my mother's married to an asshole and... and my sibling, we all believe differently. We have different political. I mean, my brother is a is a Democrat. I'm a Democrat, and he's a Republican, you know. And my sister is a right wing Republican. And my other sister, I don't even know if she believes in politics, you know. And we all have different faiths, even though we were raised under the same house, under the same religion. None of us belong to that faith anymore, to the way that we were raised. And I have a real strong belief in God that I never had when I was under going to church every Sunday. And what happened is I did my inventories. It took me quite a while to do my first inventory because I had to have the right paper and pencil. And, I de- and that is the truth. And I still do my inventories on the same paper, wood pulp paper, and a ballpoint pen. And I just love the way it flows. And my sponsor taught me years ago... She wanted me to get up early in the morning to pray and and read and meditate. And I told her that I couldn't do that because um, my husband was sleeping and we only had one alarm clock. 
And there was a pause, because she does something it's hard for me to do, and she thinks before she speaks, which amazes me. That's my goal. And she says, well, if you ever think to get your own alarm clock, well, what a, what a novel idea. So I got my own alarm clock. And I've been getting up without before my husband ever since, regardless of which husband it was. And I started with 15 minutes because that's what she told me to do. And I got up at 15 minutes and I, I made the coffee and I sat down on the, in the corner of the couch because all I had was two bedrooms. I, I didn't have a, a room like I have today. I didn't have any privacy. So I sat there with my big book and my Al-Anon and my 12 and 12 and my pad of paper because she said I needed to write a minute a day. She says, can you do that? I says, I can do that. She says, I don't care what you want to write about. And there's days I say, life sucks. You're a son of a bitch. Not at all all right. And then there's days I write pages. Most days I, I do a little writing. Most days. And uh, now I get up at an ungodly hour at 4.30 in the morning. And I walk. And then I come in and I sit down. I've given up the cigarettes, but I still sit with my coffee. Leaded coffee. And uh, my big book and my and my reading stuff and my wood pulp paper. Today I didn't write. I thought about it. But the good thing about working the program as as you continue to practice the stuff, the read and write and arithmetic, you are aware of how you feel, and you know what actions to take, because you will instinctively know what to do. And I find that happening to me today in the business world that I'm at. I can practice all of the principles. I don't ever have to compromise my belief system. I may have to change the way I approach something because I'm in an environment where it's mostly men. In fact, at the manager's meeting, there's only four women out of 40 men. And the owner of the company is a man, and his brother's a man, and his two sons are men, and, you know, that's the way it is. And I accept that. I don't like it, but I accept it, because that is the way that it is. And, the, again, the way I've been raised in the program, uh, I had a problem at work, and I remember calling my sponsor, and I'm pissing and moaning, my God, slinging snot just all in a lather. And she says, you know, if you don't like the way they do business, then quit. It's their business, and they can run it any way they want to, Emmy. So shut the fuck up. If you don't like it, get out. And that stopped me pissing and moaning, because she was absolutely right. I had myself in a lather about nothing. I had a conversation with um, someone in high up in the company yesterday, and we were talking about hiring pretty people. Now, the hair on my body, every hair on my body... I could have been interpreted as a porcupine because I wanted to jump down his throat and I wanted to cut his balls off. That's how angry I was. Because he, because I have two of the people on my staff that, are, in my opinion, are obese. And I hired them. I hired them for their capabilities. And I knew what he was referring to without ever saying it. And their thought went through my mind. And it was just like one of those computerized ticker tapes across there's absolutely nothing that you're going to do to change their opinion. 
and it is the opinion of the world. So shut up and go on about your business. And I did get to say, well, I understand your point of view, which I do. I says, I just disagree with it. And I was able to maintain my dignity as a woman. I forget woman. I was able to maintain Emmy's dignity because I'm not going to change their thought process. I'm not going to change everything. But it was the program that taught me to stop my feeling of being angry because it was not useful. It, it had no value. It is the same thing. We've been selling products with gorgeous women and sex since the beginning of time. It ain't ever going to change. So why should I get pissed and moan that I don't look like Cindy Crawford? And there's not a woman in this room that doesn't want to look like that. And there's not a man in the room that wouldn't want her to. The facts of life. I just have to accept it and move on. And that's what I've been taught. And where I am today, I am married. Uh, I've been married to uh, this husband, and this is it. I ain't doing it this again, you know. And I make joke of it, but I've been married to Jerry for four years, soon to be five. And um, it has been a, a struggle for me. I have my sneakers on most of the time. I want to run because I am self-sufficient without outside support. I make enough money to support myself. I don't need anybody to support me. There, there's that, that feeling in me, screw you, I don't need you. I don't even need to stay and work it out. And since I was single for a very long time, I know how I, I operate. But I know that's not the best thing for me. There's something in me that tells me that's not the best thing because I've had opportunities to leave and I chose to stay. And in, in that process, I do the reading and the writing and the arithmetic. And more will be revealed to me. And I just believe that with my whole heart and soul. But I live it, and I, I hope that I practice it. I believe it. And when I'm in trouble, I call. Whether it be food, if I'm thinking about food, or I want a particular food, or it talks to me, I make a phone call. I write in the most unusual places. I do use the phone. I still... There's certain things that were given to me to do, like disciplined phone calls. None of this, excuse me, outreach bullshit. I hate that. I'm making an outreach call. I was raised as a disciplined phone call. It says in AA comes of age that a disciplined way of life will create a surrender. And I believe that. And the word discipline is one of those words that's like fingernails down a chalkboard for me. And when I was raised, a chi- as, as a child, I was raised to be meek and mild. And I watched my mom just get, you know, walked on by everybody. And we, in, in the church that I was raised, it says that you must be meek and you must be, you must be humble. And so I was always struggling with, with these inner things that I was told I had to be. And I found out in my travels and things and classes that I took in school that the word meek means disciplined. And it is the disciplined people that will inherit the earth. And the discipline is the discipline over the mind. In all of the interpretations of all of the spiritual writings, the way there are some words that there's no words for. You know, hell is a place at the end of the city where they used to burn trash and bodies because they didn't have garbage collectors. And so when they scolded their children, they would tell them they would send them down to Hades. And that's where at the end of the street where they burned the trash. And somehow or other, 
we've got this concept of hell that drives a lot of people mad. And I found all of this stuff out in my travels trying to find God. And I found God in an OA meeting on a Sunday afternoon when I'd gone to church and I could find no peace. And the things that they were saying from the podium went against everything that I'd been taught here and of those 12 steps. When I came to Overeaters Anonymous, I was a judgmental fool. My dad was Archie Bunker's father. And all of you who don't know what Archie Bunker was, he hated white people. I mean, he hated uh, black people, Spanish people, um, any kind of peoples that weren't white Christian. And in the 70s, in the 60, middle of the 60s and the 70s, I belonged to the John Birch Society. And for those of you that don't know what that is, that's the Ku Klux Klan. I mean, I was raised in that environment. I was raised, I had all my money taken out of the banks, and I was hiding my money in oatmeal and coffee because the end of the world was coming. The crash. And I had to be prepared. I mean, so you look at me today, from where I came from, it's not possible to change. It's just therapy couldn't have done this. But the program did. And I remember, and it's just, I, I remember it because it was so dramatic for me. I was having an argument with my parents, and I called my sponsor. I used to joke that if anything itched on my body, I'm not even going to say it because it's being taped, I'd call my sponsor. Or I'd call somebody because you were my lifeline. I didn't have to do all of this by myself. And my parents were up to their stuff again. And I call my sponsor, and she says, you know, if you can let it go without resentment, great. If you can't, you need to talk to them. And she said in the next breath, I'll wait. My parents were parked out front of my house, and she's on the phone. We don't even live in the same town, and she's going to wait. I put the phone down and went out and dealt with it. And you know what? Out of all of the five children, I have the best relationship with my mother today because it doesn't work. Her games do not work. When she's done talking to the other children, they call me for debriefing. And that's exactly what they call it. And I'm better today. Most nights I, I sleep pretty good. Chatty Kathy is what I call the voices up there because it's just she doesn't stop. There was a doll in the uh, 70s or 80s, I think, that she pulled a little cord and she'd just talk, 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 talk. And I, that's Chatty Kathy. She'll wake me up from a dead sleep saying that we need to talk about something without my permission. I don't know what that voice comes from. I know that every single human being has it. I know I'm not unique at all. Because terminal, you know, terminal uniqueness. This disease will kill me. It may not kill you, but it will kill me. And I've been around long enough to watch them come back in and out this door. And nobody ever told me it was a good time out there. And there's not, I, there's four foods I do not eat regardless. I do not eat popcorn. I do not eat potato chips. I do not eat chocolate. And I do not eat peanut butter. They don't make enough in the world for me to start. And popcorn has no sugar in it. And I used to eat vats of it. And jars and jars and jars of Laura Scudder's peanut butter because it was healthy. And I did. I rationalized that. And when I was in Weight Watchers, I used to eat, you know, they, they would say you could have this jello before they had jello jello and diet jello. And I would make it with um, sprinkle sweet and Knox gelatin and 
a flavored coca, uh, some coke, I forget. And I would make vats of it. And they said that we could eat it all day long. Well, I started putting stuff in the jello because in my mind, that if you spread it out all day long, it's like it didn't count. You know, like if you eat after midnight, it doesn't count. You haven't heard that? Oh, it does. That's the truth. Sure. And I would put apple, and you're only allowed so many fruits in Weight Watchers, and I forget what it was. But I, it would spread out through the whole day. I'd eat an apple. And I'd grade carrots and celery and cabbage in this jello. And before you know it, I had a whole salad in this jello. And that's what I did. When Atkins came around, when the first Atkins diet came around, I thought I was in hog heaven because I'm a protein eater. And I would do two chickens for lunch. No problem. Not even. I could still do two chickens today. I love chicken. I gained 30 pounds and I peed on those damn sticks and they turned purple. But I was eating two chickens for lunch. I know that the program works for me. I go to meetings. I give service. I sponsor. I still make disciplined phone calls. At least one a day. At least one a day. Sometimes three. Because that's what works. And it's still working. It's still working. And I thank you very much. Um, do we have times for questions? <laughs> I have 15 minutes. Are there any questions? Yes. Nope, can't be about me. And um, the question was uh, about disciplined phone calls. Do I call to talk about myself? And the answer is no. My job is to find out about somebody else, to see how they're doing. And I don't talk about me, period. I will talk to somebody and say how they're doing and what's going on in their life. And it's not my job to give them advice, just to listen. So that's what I do. And there's one or two people I call pretty regularly. Do the, do the people at your work kind of know that you're in OA? Uh, the question is, uh, the people at work know that I'm in OA. Yes, everybody knows that I'm in OA. And it is, it's quite remarkable because this is the season of food. And they'll, somebody will offer me something, and my office people will go, never mind, she'll need it. <laughs> nope. Um, Emmy only eats three meals a day. Emmy doesn't do that. And I don't have to say a word. I think it's hysterical. <laughs> For my birthday this year, um, my, um, my birthday is October 2nd, my natal birthday, and they have a luncheon. Come on in. And you know what? There wasn't one thing there that I couldn't eat because they all knew. They all knew what I ate. And they had the things that I like. Isn't that amazing? I just thought that was so cool. I was so impressed with that. But I don't have any shame or guilt. I have a disease. And the hardest thing to do is explain the disease to somebody who doesn't understand. And they never will unless they got it. Even alcoholics have a hard time understanding compulsive eating. I mean, they just don't understand. And I can't, because I drink. I don't have a problem with alcohol. I don't like to be drunk. 
I don't like it at all. I had left more drinks on the table because I'm done. My nose gets numb. I'm quit because I don't like to be drunk. It's not, it's not a fun thing for me. So I don't understand how someone likes that feeling, even though I understand the disease and the compulsion. Yes. Yes. I've been absent. The question is, have I ever relapsed? No, I have not. Um, my abstinence was three meals a day with nothing in between, period. The only time that I did not eat um, three meals a day on a regular basis is when I was doing the Avon breast cancer walk. And um, my friend Norm and I, we walked together, and I had to find um, a food plan that worked because we'd start walking at 6 in the morning. I don't eat at 6 in the morning. And... Um, we followed the directions of the people who told us how to train for the 62 miles because it's not walking around the block. And they said, you need, you need to eat carbs, and you need to eat this, and you need to eat this. And so I told my sponsor, well, we can do this, we can do this. And she says, okay, try it, see how it works. So I had my little pouch, you know, that I carried with the stuff that they told us that we need to carry. And, and when it was so-called breakfast time, I'd take the food out of my – and we're walking, see. I'm walking – you know, I'm eating on the walk here. And it, I would carry the stuff in my pouch. Now, I know that Norm and I walked, oh, probably 15 miles during the week. A couple of, a couple of nights we divided up the entire week would be a total of 15 miles. And then on the weekends, we were averaging anywhere from 8 to, to 10 or 15 Saturday and Sunday. So I'm doing a lot of walking. And I gained 2 pounds in a month. No more bagels. No more pasta. No more starch. And so I went back to my sponsor and I says, how about this? And so in my pouch, I carried string cheese and I made up a granola of fruit, dried fruits that were good for my body. And that's what I did. And when I walked with all the people, they had the foods that I could choose that were good for my body. And that's what I did. So sometimes I didn't get a chance, a choice to eat, and there's, there are certain things when you do physical, that kind of walking. And, and I experienced, they talked about hitting the, mo- the wall. I experienced in a practice walk at 14 miles. I had to, I had to sit down and eat some because I was just going to pass out. And God knows, uh, you know, it's not because of skin and bones, not on my body. So relapse, I have not broken my abstinence. And I, I've stayed true to my food plan. Yes? You talked about My prayer meditation, um, I'm pretty rebellious about uh, organized prayer. I have several that I use, and one is in the third step prayer. Um, I use a prayer from the South Dakota Indians. Uh, and I read certain things. I read a... Um, a little pamphlet that I've written, I've, I have read for probably 20 years, and it's called Daily Word. It was a gift, and for some reason, I like it, even though it's got religious stuff in it. I like it. Um, I have tried a lot of different things in, in my search for God, and I've tried Paramahansa Yogananda, and I've tried that kind of meditation, and... Um, just reading the big book and a cup of coffee is probably the best thing that works for me. And I have meditation books. I have a whole bunch of them. 
And I used to try to get them all in every day. I said, you know, shit, I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember. I can't remember what I read today. This morning it said something about being kind. I can't tell you what I read in the big book this morning. But it's in the doing every day that somehow it's in there. It, it's like putting money in the bank. And when I need to go withdraw, it's there. But if I don't put it in the bank, I'm not going to have it when I need it. That's how it was explained to me. You're welcome. Yes. Hi. Hi. Well, if if I have my ego out of my paduti, and if I remember that God is an instrument, and you are the instrument that He that He that's all He has to use is people, you know. And if my answer comes from somebody with one day, I'm the fool if I shut the door. And I don't remember the circumstances, but there was a girl who had like three months and gave me my answer. I'd have to listen to the tape to, but I remember that. And, her, and I pitched something in a meeting, and she came to me afterwards and, and gave me the answer. And I was in a meeting once uh, at a marathon, and there was a speaker who had had all kinds of years, and I didn't know who he was. And my sponsor was sitting next to me, and I said, Who is this old fart? I said, For crying out loud, you can hardly understand two words out of his mouth. Who invited him to speak in? I was just full of myself. And she looked at me and she says, Emmy, do you like my program? I go, yes. She says, I got it from him. And I started to cry. Because again, you know, I think that was one of my strongest lessons about being arrogant and thinking that I had all the answers. Because I don't think anybody does. I think I'm as close to a binge as anybody else is. I just hope that when that when it hits, because it probably will, I've put enough money in the bank to help me. You had a question? Yes, I wanted to know, um, how did you make things She asked how I maintain my abstinent raising children because it's not my food. I eat three meals a day with nothing in between, period. It's not open for discussion. I did stop baking. I did stop baking, and I discovered this wonderful thing called the grocery store. Because I had this, again, it, it, to me, for me, it had this thing about, well, it had to be made from scratch. I made my children's clothes. I made cakes from scratch, I had a garden, I canned, I have killed and skinned and cooked a rabbit. You know, I'm, here I am, woman, you know, if the crash ever comes, stand close to me because I'll make sure that we eat. Uh, I, I, I could do that, but, I, you know, I was taught when I asked those questions, she says, you don't, it's not your food. And if you don't taste it, and I do very little tasting today. I tasted the turkey salad today, but I'm going to sit down and eat lunch that I made. But I would give, I may have ever, ever people be, be the tasters. Because I could just taste me pounds and pounds of food away. 
I do believe, and here's an opinion, kids don't need the crap that we bring into the house anyway. They don't need it. And if they want it, they'll get over it. I mean, I mean, I raised four teenagers, four kids. They were all a year and a half apart. And I didn't have that stuff in the house. I mean, they had their chips, but they were individuals. And they got one bag for I mean, I just had, but I was taught that by other women in the program. They wanted cookies. I would let them make them. They had to make them, clean them, store them, and eat them. I didn't do it. I haven't made a cookie in 27 years, and I'm not about to. And guess what I brought home Thursday? My husband ordered five pounds of frozen cookie dough. What in the fuck am I doing with this shit in the freezer? (laughs) And my husband eats cookies every night. And I don't think I've ever seen him eat more than three. And there's cookies he eats that I've never tasted. And he said to me the other day that he left some cookies out on the table, and of course they were gone because he was stupid and the cats ate them. And I says, well, how'd you know I didn't? He says, because I know you wouldn't do that. I says, you're that sure? He says, I'm that sure. And because I've made a decision in Chapter 5, second paragraph, rarely we've seen a person fail who's followed our path. They've made a decision and then once we make the decision, we can go forward. But in everything that I read, whether it be physical, whether it be walking, whether it be, you know, whether you made a decision to cut your hair short, I mean, whatever it is, we have to, we have to mentally make the decision that we want to change our life. Now, I do not want to give up my dinner. I do not want to give up my dinner. But there's some nights I don't get home till 7.30. So what am I going to do to change? Because I put in long hours, sometimes 10 to 12 hours a day. That's a long day. I am 55 years old. I am having a really hard time dealing with being tired. So I need to look at my day structure. And this comes to the discipline. I need to walk out of work at 5.30. I, I, I've got to do it. Because I'm not going to lose this 10 pounds that has stayed on my body. And, you know, I'm basic gray sheet. Fruits, vegetables, occasionally Mexican chips. I don't eat potato chips. There's a big difference. My husband eats potato chips. I don't eat potato chips. Is there any other? Yes. How has your uh, guy consciousness changed over? Oh, how's my God consciousness changed over 26 years? I came in with a punishing God that kept score, kept a rule book, and if you broke the rules, you were going to burn in hell forever. You're going to be a crispy critter. Uh, Masturbation was absolutely forbidden, and I started that when I was eight, so I knew that there was no redemption for me. I discovered that little tool when I was eight years old, and I was caught when I was eight in uh, 40 seconds. Uh, Sex has always been a strong drive for me. Of course, everything in, in, in any of the churches, it's a taboo. Um, oh, I went on a search. I started going to different churches because I liked the community and I liked the singing. And so I would go to one of the churches and I would ask this question to the minister because, you know, after they see a newcomer, you know, uh, like a deer in headlights and they come up and they shake your hand. Mm, how's everything? you have any questions? And I go, yeah, how do you feel about Jews? 
How's my question? Because, you know, I just love my sponsor. And she's the best Christian I ever met. And if she ever heard me say that, she'd fall over dead. But she is the she is the epitome of what I think human beings need to treat each other, and she's not perfect by any means. But I'd ask them that question, and they say, "Well, we need to we need to pray for them." And did I ever go back? No, because already they're judging another human being based on their belief system. And I kept that search, and I went to the uh, uh, self uh, realization fellowship for years, years, and I lo- read a lot of their literature. One of my heroes is Gandhi. You know, and I just, I started to look at things differently. I challenged my belief system, and that really is recovery, is to challenge my belief system. And that's what I believe a mother should be, what a wife should be, what a sister should be, what a, all these things is, is, and I've had to do inventories on those things. And during that process, I hate to use that buzzword, but I don't know any other word to use. I have discovered that I have an incredible God. I do not believe in heaven, and I do not believe in hell. I do not believe it, period. And you can't talk me into it. Somebody says, well, you've just justified what you want to for your way of living. I says, okay. I'm not going to argue with an idiot. He wants to believe that way, he can. And I don't make him feel bad for his belief system. I'll share an experience. Years and years and years ago, when my when my children were very tiny, I had somebody come to dinner. I've never seen the person since. And we were talking about God. And I was all self-righteous about my religion and heaven and hell and God and punishment and all of this stuff. I was two years into the program. And this really was the, this was the question that kicked me on to my search. And he says, okay, take your child. Take, take your kid. And I says, okay, I got my kid. He says, close your eyes. I says, okay. So I did this exercise, and I have my child in my arm, and I close my eyes. He says, now walk slowly into the kitchen and put your child in the oven and turn on the fire. And I said, oh, my God, I could never do that. He says, and even either could your Heavenly Father. And that was the start of crumbling my belief system. And the next question that changed me, that felt, that catapulted me on my search, was when the church said that you could eat meat on Friday. Now, I'm raised from the old school where we couldn't do that. And this is not a put down, this is just my path. And so my sponsor called me when the, you know, it was in the headlines, and she, and she asked me that question. She says, well, is that, was that true? I says, oh, yeah, shit, the nuns would rip that bologna right out of my sandwich. You know, you'd be a crispy critter if you ate meat on Friday. And I made jokes of it, but it was a belief system that I had. And she says, and what happened if you died eating meat? I says, well, this is this kind of sin, and you've got to do so much penance and everything, you know. And I'm giving her the, the factual information that I, was given to me as a child. You know, I didn't, and her questions were innocent. She had no idea what was coming. And she says, okay. She says, what happens now that that's no longer an issue, that it don't count no more, it's over, what happens to all those people who died with eating meat on their soul? And that just stopped me cold. And I started to cry. And I know when I hear a spiritual truth, I cry. Because I can't believe that God would make anybody pay and suffer because they ate meat on Friday. 
And so then I started to search, and I found a loving God that really likes Emmy just the way she is. And he keeps trying his hardest to get her to like her. And it's as I do these things in my daily life, because it feels right for me, that I start to like myself better. And I've been going through a period of self-loathing. It's kind of like hit, like a bad virus. And I have certain exercises that I have to do of writing, and I don't like it. But I know that if I do it, the result will that the self-loathing will, will leave me, at least for time being. And I'm very grateful. Thank you very much for asking me to speak.